welcome to episode 48 of the Larry Dowdy Mike Side Podcast. After attending Roto Catholic, he then went on to be a star tight end for the Hokies. Mike Burnup is about to begin his 40th season as network analyst in the booth. There are very few in college athletics that's an analyst in both football and basketball. Mike Burnup, Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Larry. I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to be on with you, and uh, I'm glad you remember I'm amphibious. You know, I can do both sports. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, not only do you do both sports, but you do them both very well. Let's go back to your Rono Catholic years. Did you have any idea you'd go on to tech, do as well as you did on the field, but move on to the broadcast booth? No, I don't think you could ever fathom that. I mean, Obviously, Roanoke Catholic was a very small school and still is. I mean, I kid people all the time that uh, I was happy as hell, man. I graduated 40th in my class, but there were only 40 people, <laughs> right? So, so you know, really small. And that was boys and girls, and that was from grade 8 to 12. So, but it was fun up there. You know, I had a great time. And uh, back then, back in the day, you know, there weren't a lot of Catholic schools that you played. Now, there were more in basketball but there weren't as many in football. So we basically had to play a football schedule against the, the other teams in uh, Roanoke City, Roanoke County. You know, we played the likes of the Northsides and the Jeffersons, uh, K-Spring, you know, Drury Mason, you know, those type schools because, you know, that's the only options that you had. And I would think for a small school like Roanoke Catholic, that was quite the challenge. I mean, the players on the Roanoke Catholic team may not have been as strong as the others. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you played the, uh, like the K-Springs of the world and the Jeffersons. I mean, obviously they were uh, big boys and whatnot, and we only dressed out maybe 25 if we were lucky, right? So literally you played every position and you never left the field when the uh, opening kickoff was because, you know, you're on kickoff, kickoff return, punt, punt return. Sometimes I had to punt. Sometimes I had to kick extra points. I mean, it was a little bit everything. And so, but it was a great time. And, uh, you know, there are guys before me that uh, kind of left a legacy there at the Roanoke Catholic, the Paul Ripley's of the world. And, uh, you know, he went on to Virginia Tech and my brother was at Virginia Tech. So I kind of knew, you know, they'd recruited me from probably my sophomore year on. I was basically at almost every home game I could fit in. So, yeah, I got recruited to a lot of places, but I kind of knew I was going to Virginia Tech, and um, it came and worked out pretty well for me. Absolutely. Now, let's go back to your football days at Virginia Tech. You still hold the Virginia Tech record for receptions in a season by a tight end with 46. You were on fire as a Hokie on the field. Yeah, it was fun because what happened, Larry, was like when I got recruited by Jerry Claiborne and, and that coaching staff. Well, Jerry Claiborne was a disciple of, you know, the Bear Bryants of the world and those things. And he believed in, you know, defense and special teams. And he always felt like throwing the football, three things could happen, right? And two of them were bad. That was what he always said. And so after the second year, you know, we kind of struggled a little bit. You know, when I first got there in 19, uh, I guess 1969 is the first year I came in. Well, they opened up with Alabama. And Bear Bryant uh, came to Blacksburg, Virginia, of all places, Lane Stadium. And the place was just absolutely packed. They put temporary bleachers up. This is before they expanded Lane Stadium. 
and you know temporary bleachers were up in the end zone i mean the place was just absolutely packed well freshmen couldn't play then uh until a few years later then they gave freshman eligibility so i can remember watching that game and just thinking oh my gosh this is wild and crazy right well the hokies lost that game i think it was 17 13 alabama uh really really close game and then they proceeded to lose i think the next five games got off to a tough start and then the same thing happened the next year. Finished four and five and one, I think, that year. And then 1970, another tough start, you know, opened up and lost the first five or something. They were, ended up being five and six, rallied at the end. But then they fired Jerry Claiborne. So when Charlie Coffey came in 1971, you know, he was he believed in a wide open offense and came from like Arkansas, Tennessee, that kind of a factory there. He hired Dan Henning as his offensive coordinator, and he, you know, he'd been a, a coach in the NFL for many, many years with the Houston Oilers, and just great offensive mind. And so, yeah, he he believed in throwing the football kind of all over the yard. And he had a guy named Don Struck that did it pretty well, and so it was fun to watch. Now we couldn't stop anybody, but we could score some points. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you mentioned a couple of past coaches. How does a new coach coming in? How does it affect the team? And the fans. You know, it's difficult, Larry. I mean, I'll never forget when uh, Charlie Coffey came in and guys were just playing tricks on you, pranksters. You know, it's like you get a phone call because there are no cell phones back then. I mean, you get a phone call on a hard line. Hey, uh, Charlie Coffey wants to talk to you. Oh, yeah, sure he does. Right. New hire coach. Right. He wants to talk to you. Like, uh, so you get on the phone. It's like, you know, is this guy just feed me a line of crap here or what is he talking about? <laughs> so you don't want to get off to a bad start, right? But it is, it's difficult because, you know, if you have been playing, for example, and then now all of a sudden you got a new guy in, he might want to change positions for you. Uh, it's a fresh set of eyes from all those guys. Uh, you know, you everybody kind of starts from scratch and uh, you kind of got to reinvent yourself pretty much. So it is hard when a new guy takes over and, um, Obviously, it's happened here at Virginia Tech since uh, Frank Beamer left, you know, several times. So it, it is, it's a hard thing, especially for the players. You know, it's got to be hard for the new coach coming in. Uh, maybe he had a name for himself, and now he's trying to show the new team and fans he's got the right stuff. He didn't put that team together, but all eyes are watching him on the field. Yeah, and that's the thing Brent Pry's dealing with for the most part. I mean, you think about it, he inherited – a team, right? The Justin Fuente left and, you know, those were his guys. And now you're inheriting a team that you want to mold into your kind of guys. And so, you know, there's been a lot of activity with people coming and going and with the new staff, just like this, this was funny, Larry. So when, when Brent Pry came in the first day of spring practice, you know, they're out there and every one of those guys had on the front of their helmet, like masking tape or whatever, some kind of tape that wouldn't come off with the contact with their name on it. Because you don't really, you know, you don't see that from like Sandlot football, right? But they didn't know who they were. And so it's just difficult for everybody. And, uh, you know, moving guys around, I think you'd be better at disposition than that. Uh, you know, I don't think you, you have to have those hard conversations with them, you know, after spring practice. You know, I just don't think you're going to fit in. Let me help you try to go somewhere else now that you have this thing called the transfer portal. So it is difficult for all these coaches and, um, especially when they're paying them the kind of money that they're playing, you know, they're paying, they expect results. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let's talk coach Brent Pry. 
He was at Virginia Tech in 95. Now he's calling the plays. How much do you think he'll bring with him from Penn State? Uh, defensively, a very lot. I mean, he he knew his defense. He loved his defense, and uh, he wants that kind of defense here. You know, Coach Fu and his staff kind of had a 4-2-5 type of a scheme, and he's more of a 4-3 uh, scheme. So it'll be a lot like Penn State's uh, offensively. You know, he wants to be able to run the football. That's why he got Joe Rudolph from uh, Wisconsin as the offensive line coach. And he got a guy from the NFL that was coaching the Jacksonville Jags as the OC, the offensive coordinator there. So they want to be wide open and multiple on offense, but they want to start with running the football. So, yeah, but there'll be a lot of Penn State you'll see out there because, again, that's where he kind of got his name and made his mark. And Penn State was pretty daggone successful from recruiting kids in Virginia to results on the field. Well, I guess Fuente came from Memphis, right? He did. Uh, a lot of eyes were on him to see if he'd bring with him what he had in Memphis. Well, that was the thing. I mean, he was the hot topic, right? He was the guy that everybody was after. And and they, everybody knew it was going to be really difficult to replace Coach Beamer. And I think those last few years, you know, with Coach Beamer, it was like, I think you go back to the uh, the game, I guess, in 2010 or 2011, something like that, when the Hokies kind of uh, – they lost that game to Michigan, right? And and it was just like things kind of went downhill after that. It was almost like they passed the torch from uh, Virginia Tech to Clemson because Clemson kind of took over from there in the ACC and it made it difficult. So, I mean, I think everybody was kind of looking at it like, you know, uh, Coach Beamer, uh, when you were trying to recruit against him, they were saying, well, you never play for him. He's going to retire and that kind of thing. And so uh, the, when Coach Fu came in, you know, he fortunately had some good players left from Frank Beamer's guy. And then he went and found a good quarterback in Gerard Evans. And so Fu was the hot topic. He was the offensive mind, you know. Well, they come in and they did great, right? I mean, he came in and Right off the bat, he won 10 games. They played for the ACC championship, lost to Clemson. And then the next year, he wins nine games. So, yeah, it just went kind of south after that. But, you know, Brent Pry's there now. He was here in the mid-90s as a GA, and he's been to a lot of places and worked his way up. And now I think uh, he gets it around here. He knows what it's about, and he remembers Beamer Ball and all those sorts of things. So, He's going to try to get him back on track. Has it been a challenge for Coach Pry when he came in first of the year, getting the right staff pulled together or by being on a staff a few years back, was that an advantage to him because he knows how the clock ticks? Oh, I think so. I mean, I think all these guys that come in as head coaches, you know, you run into so many people and you cross paths with so many guys through the course of your career and where you have been. And you kind of know, you know, hey, when the time comes, if I ever become a head coach, I kind of know who I want at each position. And he said, you know, I was just talking to him the other day and he was talking a little bit about that. It's like, you know, they're guys I like better, but they they wouldn't fit here. And so, you know, those are decisions that he had to make. Like, OK, I know this guy's going to be a great coach. You know, I may not like him as much as the other guy, but I know he's going to work hard and he'll get it. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of fun to watch him put together that staff, but he was patient, did it right, waited on guys when they finished the NFL or wherever they were, or if their team was in a bowl game, you know, he had to wait, but he got what he wanted and they hit the road immediately 
recruiting and um, just try to make their impact there. You know, you touched on something there I don't think I've thought about before. Coach Pry, or any coach for that matter, may know of some coach that may be a good fit, but would they be a good fit for that organization? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like that. I mean, I was talking to – it's funny. I was talking to Bill Roth the other day, and, you know, Bob Denton is a guy that was like the head of the department that, that he is under. Bill's that – Oh, yeah. Essence. Had Dr. Bob on the radio numerous yeah. times. He is a delight and a class act. Yeah. yeah, and so he's in the SMA program. Well, that's under the, the umbrella of Bob Denton who's going to retire. And I guess there was a couple people that had looked at the job, and they didn't like – Blacksburg, or, or maybe not the, the actual people, but it might have been like their wives or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, Blacksburg's a different place and you got to be able to fit. And, you know, Coach Pry had to go through that. He had been here, he knew Blacksburg, and it was a lot like Penn State if you've ever been up there. So it was, uh, yeah, that's one of those things you got to be mindful of. Are you surprised Bud Foster didn't hang around longer or? Did he just realize, I've had some of my best days under Frank Beamer, I'm going to step aside? You know, Bud was having a couple of uh, issues health-related, and I think the stress was kind of getting to him a little bit, and, you know, they weren't quite as good and whatnot. And I I think that's kind of why he just took a step back. I mean, I think he was great to hang around with Fu those first few years and kind of do his thing. And, you know, he gave his blessing to get Justin Hamilton in behind him. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it was just one of those things that was just kind of time, you know, he'd been here a long, long time, did a great job. You know, he's doing well now he's traveling a little bit and he's going to speak into uh, different coaches. He told me about, uh, I guess I saw him a couple of weeks ago at spring practice and he was going to North Dakota out there to talk to their, their group of coaches and team. And you know, he's been to Louisiana, so he's doing a little traveling, but he's doing fine. It was just one of those things. I think it was time. Yeah, that's good to hear. Well, the spring game was April 16th. What are the advantages to the spring game for the coaching staff? Is it like a learning tool for fall? Yeah, I think when you, you know, you go through those previous 14 practices and you don't really know how they're going to react in front of like the cameras and the lights, right? especially when you pare down what you're going to do offensively and defensively. So, you know, it's a very vanilla thing. You don't want to give away a lot when you're a new staff and you got new plays and new defenses and all those sorts of things. So, you know, they, they didn't run a lot of plays offensively and they didn't do a lot of things differently on defense. So, but the advantage is, you know, you see those kids uh, with the crowd there, uh, you can see him with live situations, uh, the blocking and tackling, the good versus good, and uh, all those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's a, it's a big advantage. Um, but obviously the 14 practices before help, you know, get a depth chart, a pecking order of where you are. And this just kind of validates it, and it gives you a start to where you're going to be when you come back in August. Mike Burnup, what was it like doing games with John Laser? At the height of COVID, (laughs) that had to be a battle you thought you would never tackle. I know. It was crazy. I mean, we're sitting there in Greensboro, I think it was, Charlotte, Greensboro, wherever the ACC tournament was, and we'd gotten beat in the first round, and it was like all of a sudden the next day, the whole tournament got canceled. It was like, you got to be kidding me. So, yeah, it was different and weird. And then the next year, you know, you're doing games and 
front of no fans and you're taking these lengthy pauses because games are getting canceled. Uh, yeah, it was just bizarre. You're sitting up. We broadcast the games from Castle Coliseum in the stands. They they had a makeshift set up there for us, uh, spaced us apart. And, yeah, it was just bizarre and crazy the way it was. And then you go to the NCAA tournament and a, a great place like Hinkle Fieldhouse where they had every – all the whole thing was in Indianapolis. And, you know, that was kind of odd. But, you know, we lost to Florida in overtime the first game and kind of got out of there. But, yeah, it was crazy. So last year was much, much better just having people back in the stands. Oh, I bet. Now, things changed in the broadcast booth this year with the return of Bill Roth after seven years – the two of you were just an awesome team. I mean, are you excited? I'm not just about the buffets on road trips, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're very much excited, both of us. I mean, we did 27 years together, and it was just like some of the best times uh, in Virginia Tech and athletics. And, you know, it was like great times that we had. You know, Bill came in, and uh, he became like a member of our family. You know, he's on our family vacation every year. He watched my kids grow up. You know, when uh, uh, he, he comes to Florida with us every year. So it's going to be great having him back in the booth. You know, it was kind of just a natural fit because he was teaching these classes anyway. And so just to slide over and be able to do football worked out great. Glad they got that job done. And, you know, they're still working on somebody to do basketball because they didn't want to have him do a basketball game and miss a class because of the conflicts. So they're still working on that, but it's going to be great to have him back on the air in football. We're looking forward to it. Mike, would you like to join Bill in the classroom to teach a class one day? Um, I don't know. You know, I was, I've done a lot of stuff with his students because they need to interview people. And I go there and like talk to him. I said, you know, my situation is like totally different from anything you'll ever hear. And so, I mean, it's like when Jeff Charles came here, Larry, he was uh, Bill Dooley hired Jeff Charles to do his radios, TV, marketing, promotions, everything related to football and basketball back in the day, right? Well, now you got a staff of like 40 people that does that. Well, Jeff had one person helping him. And he calls me up one day and out of the blue and he just says, hey, I've always had an ex-player do my color. Would you be interested? I had no idea what he was talking about, right? I said, well, I'll come talk to you. And I thought he was talking about doing the games on like WUVT, the campus station that was pumped into the dorm, right? And then he tells me, no, we got like 60 stations across Virginia and here, there in Carolina, like 60. <laughs> so, 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 I mean, he interviewed some other ex-players and, you know, he said, well, we, we kind of hit it off pretty well. And so that's how I started. So, I mean, you know, that never happens, right? <laughs> it's like, so I just got lucky, and that's what I tell these people. So I'm not sure what I could add to a class at, uh, over there that they teach because I kind of defied the odds. And here I am getting ready to do year number 40. Wow. <laughs> and at the time when he asked you to do this, were you running the office supply business? I was, yeah, sure enough. And here's here, This is what's even crazier. So we're going to start right back in like 1983. <laughs> and so all this stuff was going on. And so the funny thing was we're playing Wake Forest opening up in uh, September. You know, games started a little bit later back then. So it's, and, and Dooley was coaching. So uh, Wake Forest was playing Appalachian State the week before down in Winston-Salem. So Jeff said, let's go down to Winston-Salem. We'll call the game. 
and listen to the tape on the way back, right? So we're down there and we're on the top of the press box, right? Because there's no room inside. This is before they renovated way back. So we're on top of the press box, called the game on a Marantz tape recorder. You don't know what that was. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, with a microphone. And we listened to the tape, popped it in the car radio on the way back and listened to it. And then the next week we started live. How about that? <laughs> wow. That is unbelievable. Now think back to your days playing for the Hokies. Mike, would you want to play for them today, or was it easier in your day? Um, well, I think a lot of things have changed, but, yeah, I'd still love to play, absolutely. I think when you're a player and you got that in your blood, you want to just go out and prove that you could still do it or still play or are you as good as you thought you were or all those type things, especially with some of the offenses that we've seen and how they open it up and how some teams use tight ends. I absolutely would love to play. I think the biggest difference between now and then, you know, there's so much more to uh, the, the, the weight room, uh, the weight lifting, the nutrition, all those sorts of things. Everything's kind of changed, which is why guys are bigger, faster, and stronger. I'll give you a quick example. Like for pregame meal back in the day now, we had steak and eggs was our pregame meal. And you went to like the third quarter and you just felt like you're just going to get sick, you know, half the time. I mean, they would never think of that now. You know, it's all, it's either pasta or chicken or those type things. But the nutrition has changed so much. It's the weightlifting with what they have and what they know and the strength and uh, the speed drills that they do. Everything's changed with that regard. Mike Burnup, let's talk basketball. Wouldn't you say this was quite the season for the Hokies in the ACC tournament? No doubt. I mean, we'd never seen anything like that before that uh, a team was to take down the number one, two, and three seeds, especially when you got the Blue Bloods of the Carolinas and Dukes, especially when you coach K's last ACC tournament knowing he's going to retire, and you beat both of them in double digits, and they're not even calling timeouts at the end to put you at the free throw line because the game was out of hand. Yeah, I don't think anybody saw that coming. And uh, just a great job by Coach Young uh, getting those guys ready to go and prepared. And, you know, the, he when he came in and took over for Buzz Williams, the cupboard was pretty bare. And so he had to build this team. Well, the experience that those kids got as freshmen and sophomores paid off. And then you get the transfer portal with Kevin Loom and Justin Mutz certainly helped and Storm Murphy. That helped, but uh, that was a really fun team to be around and watch and play. And, you know, that was an incredible run that they had in the tournament. As far as the national championship game goes, were you surprised Kansas came back from 16 points down with North Carolina at halftime? Uh, I wasn't surprised. I was disappointed that Carolina let them come back uh, because, you know, Kansas had did the same thing against Miami, right? You got another ACC team there playing and Miami just blew them out of the water in the first half. And it was like, they couldn't do anything in the second half. And it was just like a similar, same kind of thing. And you just hated that for the ACC um, because you wanted them to win when you got two in the final four and what three, the final eight teams, especially after everybody was just badgering the league about how bad it was this year. And you turn out, you got, you know, those two teams in the final four. That was pretty cool. How about your thoughts on the vacancy left by coach K is he what legends are made of? And will the Duke Blue Devils rebound quickly after his legacy and stepping down after all these years? Yeah, you never know. You know, you go through the course of the year and you look at Hubert Davis, right, at Carolina, and you're thinking, okay, Roy Williams, the legend, retires, and Hubert takes over. 
And Hubert was one of those guys that was working for ESPN back in the day and, and left there to get back in coaching. And so, boy, he had his struggles through the course of the year. I mean, they were up and down like a yo-yo, getting blown out by teams they shouldn't have. And then they look like they're the best team in the country. And then they get on this run in, in the NCAA tournament and do well and play for the final the championship game, probably should have won it. So, yeah, you look at Coach Shire at, um, at Duke, you know, I mean, you think of all the disciples that came out of Duke for Coach K that have been around and coaching at different places. You didn't know who was going to get that job. So, yeah, you just hope that it works out. Uh, K will still be around there, so I'm sure he'll kind of tutor him a little bit. But, you know, it's all about the players. And, you know, he had a way of, of sealing the deal. And now these other guys, the other coaches on that staff have got to to be able to get those kids and develop them and get the one and dones because that's what it's all about now. Well, we're just a few months away from the Hokie season opener. It's a road game in Norfolk against ODU. Is that game enough to get Virginia Tech ready for Boston College in their home opener the following Saturday, Mike Burnham? Uh, well, you go back to 2017, Larry, and that Old Dominion game was kind of a frustrating crap, right? No, it wasn't 70. They won that game there. It was the year they got beat by Old Dominion. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> You don't want to have that happen. Uh, so any on any given day, anybody can win. But, yeah, I mean, last year the Hokies started out and opened up against North Carolina, right? They were a top-10 team, and Hokies beat them. This place was in a, a frenzy because of COVID and whatnot, and the place was just packed, incredible atmosphere. So, yeah, I think just getting Brent Pry, you know, getting his guys on the stage to see, okay, this is what we got to do, and this is – you're jumping right into ACC play. That'll be pretty good. Is there a matchup you're particularly looking forward to this season? For me, it's a Hokies playing in Lynchburg against Liberty. I mean, I'm pretty excited about Coach Pry and Coach Freeze. Yeah, that'll certainly be good and fun. I've never I've been there for football games, so, yeah, that'll be great. They have unbelievable facilities at Liberty. We've played them there many times in basketball. So, yeah, you look forward to those, and uh, obviously the ACC games, you know, Miami's pretty good their quarterback is back so that's one you look forward to and you know literally it's kind of funny this year larry you got three games in the state of north carolina you're gonna play carolina duke and nc state all down in north carolina i think that's the first time that's happened so and then you always look forward to uva because that's the big rival game and you know the Hokies went up there last year and won in charlottesville that locker room larry i'm telling you that was as wild as i've ever seen one all the years i've done it after winning that game, J.C. Price, the interim head coach, uh, that was an emotional, fired-up locker room. Mike, you have so many wonderful stories. Would you ever consider writing a book about it once you step away from the microphone? Uh, yeah, Bill and I have talked about that quite a bit, actually. And, um, you know, some of the stories that we know, you know, we'd have to be retired before because we might get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but we've talked about that. We may do that one day. and. Uh, it's going to be fun this year because we're going to have our own podcasts on and uh, we're going to go relive some memories of some of those, I'm sure. So, yeah, that could happen one day down the road for sure. Oh, that is fantastic. We look forward to the podcast with you and Bill Roth. I know that's going to be a classic time. And I just want to thank you for all those mornings on the radio. I got you up a little early to talk, but I really, really, really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Yeah, it's good to be on with you, Larry. You've had an unbelievable career, and I'm happy for you that you're doing well and I have time to do this. So 
Yeah, congratulations on that and uh, continued success to you, my man. Thank you, and I just appreciate you being part of my career, Mike Burnham. <laughs> Goodness gracious, Larry Dowdy. You know I love it. <laughs> I appreciate you joining me for Larry Dowdy Mike Side in Episode 48 with Hokies Network Analyst Mike Burnham. If you like Mike's side, follow us wherever you download your podcast. And be sure to share this podcast with someone by simply clicking on the share button. There's a new episode every other week. I hope you'll join me for the next Larry Dowdy Mike's side. See you then.